Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 922 with Sam Silverman. And that was like a huge takeaway that I took from working at Bridgewater was the value of candor and telling people because that develops trust. If you tell people what you're thinking, how you're feeling, they will tell you back and you can develop that relationship and develop that trust. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experiences has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called S. RV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show, and his co-founder and co-creator, Zaylin Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And really what it is, is an interactive learning tool. And it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued. There's a lot of data supporting that. This is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com click the link that says request a demo and 
That will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, Thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, the founder of Bagel Fest in Brooklyn Bagel Blog, Sam Silverman. Sam, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm psyched to be here. And a special shout out to my good friend, Brooks Tanner, for calling you out. And whenever Brooks Tanner calls me up or reaches out to me and says, you got to talk to this person, I listen. Because that guy just has such a great eye for good people in talent and just passion and just connecting people. So, uh, and that's really what I think separates this podcast from a lot of other podcasts is I, I lean heavily on word of mouth people who recognize good people. That's really what steers this, this podcast. So that's why you're here, obviously because you've done a lot of great things, bagel fest too. Uh, but we're going to dive into the world of festivals Um, which is a little adjacent to what we typically do, but I like that we get that perspective and open up people's world to other possibilities. So that's what's going to happen today. Uh, Before we dive into who you are and how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, So the mantra that I say to myself every day is, I am better today than I was yesterday, and I'll be better tomorrow than I am today. And that is just like a little reminder that like each and every day, I'm just making a little bit of progress. It may be small. It may be imperceptible, but it's just like baby steps one after the other after the other. That's the secret. And you really reminded me of the book, the, the, uh, not the power of habit, but atomic habits. Uh, and the idea of just 1% better every day. It's not about, if you want to develop a habit, you don't go and try to run six miles today. You start by putting your shoes on. And walk into the mailbox, exactly. you know, and then the next day you walk to your neighbor's mailbox and then before you know it, you're running six miles every day. Uh, and that's, it's such a powerful way to start. Just get better every day. Be a better version of yourself today than you were yesterday. I love that, man. Uh, do you want to unpackage that anymore? Um, no pressure to. No, I mean, I think like the story that we'll go into about Bagel Fest is a lot of that of just yeah. like slowly and surely moving forward day by day. Um, you know, as as a lot of businesses are, and uh, it's just been an important. <laughs> you know, it there's so many ups and downs when it comes to like starting your own thing, and so having that mantra is just like a rock to go yeah. back to yeah. when you're down is uh, is just super helpful. Awesome, man. So, where does your like your story with Bagel start? Like, where where does it all begin? Where do we where do we start? Honestly, about? as far back as I can remember. So, my very first memory is eating a bagel and cream cheese. Like that is the dude, that is that is that. what I remember. Um, Bagels are so good. Dude. They are. They are incredible. They've always been my favorite food. My family used to joke that I was a bagel-tarian because I would eat them so much. <laughs> I I played um, football in high school and college. I was also like a strict vegetarian at the time, so I wasn't eating any meat or protein. So I ate a ton of carbs to, yeah. to keep up with that, and bagels were a huge part of my diet. Nice. Uh, but you didn't take a food and beverage path for a career. I did not, no. I went to Bowdoin College, a liberal arts school in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, where I studied math, 
graduated with a with a major in math, a minor in philosophy, nice. and uh, I wish if I could go back to school, it would be either sociology or something to do with human studies or philosophy. Why? What is it that appeals to you about that vertical? Um, I think the like math and philosophy are kind of polar opposites. Right. Math is black and white. There's a right and wrong answer. Like there's many different ways to get to that answer. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, there's a, you know, it's black and white. Whereas yeah. philosophy is the total opposite. You're yeah. operating in the gray space. There's really no right answer. And I think just like that process of discovery and exploration and, and conversation is the appealing part of kind of both of the, uh, of the practices, but just in different ways. Yeah. And I noticed that people who do have a passion for the study of us and just the way we think and why we are, whether it's sociology or psychology, they tend to do really well in the, the, the business of food. Mm. I don't know why hmm. I think it's just because food and culture are so close together. And I don't know. I just think that there's definitely a correlation that I picked up on. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. I mean, those people are interested in other people yeah. and you know, at yeah. the end of the day, food is about serving other people. And yeah. And so that, would make sense to me. Absolutely. So you go to school for math and uh, philosophy, Bowdoin College, Maine. Uh, what year did you graduate? Graduated Not in... age you, but... <laughs> 2014. Okay. And... You're um, still a young buck, huh? I, I am, yeah. I turned 30 this year. There we go. Um, Welcome to the club. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to be here, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you take this path. Like, what was, what was the path? Reflecting back at that young version, younger version of yourself, uh, you're in college, you're about to graduate. Like, where, where are you telling yourself you're going to go? What's, what's the plan? Yeah. So I have always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And I've known that for a very long time. When I was at Bowdoin, I started my first business. I started a food delivery service. Nice. Um, in Brunswick, Maine, there aren't a ton of late night options. No. And uh, the only like real place to get food was at the student-run center called the Pub, uh, but you had to go pick it up. Didn't deliver. Didn't deliver. So I saw a hole in the market, and I said, "Hey, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it." And I started a college delivery service where I would pick food up from the pub and deliver it to students all over campus. So when you say you started a business, was this like I went to the the you know? Main state capital <laughs> EIN no. number and um, no, I didn't. I did not do all okay. that paperwork. I actually didn't even tell the. You pub. started taking people's money. Exactly. Yeah, I, I didn't even tell I had the a pub few what I was like doing. That when yeah. I was in college too. I had a t-shirt making business. I had a, a pizza business yep. where I would basically just cook two or three pizzas that I got like half off from my my shift, and I would bring it back to the door dorm and charge twice. Like four dollars a slice. Yep. You know. Yep. <laughs> it's it's the hustle. You yeah. know, especially when you're in college, you're just trying to scrape together that beer yeah. money however you can. And I figured it'd be more fun to do it this way than getting a job in the dining hall. You get home at 10 p.m. after working in the pizza business, and people are drinking for like six hours on a Friday night. At that point, they'll pay four dollars for a slice. Oh, of pizza. easily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when it's zero degrees out in Brunswick, Maine. You bet that people are going to pay a delivery fee exactly. and tip me to bring their, exactly. you know, their burger to the so door. How big did you grow that? Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't huge. It was like a five, six night a week thing. It was mostly just me, a couple other friends helping out part time. The real like unlock though was my senior year, second semester. Uh, Chipotle was hot on the scene. They were kind of like on the rise in yeah that time. Yeah that that time. 
And the closest Chipotle to Bowdoin was about 45 minutes away in Portland, Maine. Wow. And so I had already had this reputation as the food delivery guy. And uh, I had the thought that, hey, I should, I should organize a Chipotle delivery. Um, and Pre-orders. so, exactly. Yeah. The idea was that on Chipotle Friday, I was going to go down. You had to place your order ahead of time. I would come back and deliver it to you. And, uh, you know, you could get Chipotle on Bowdoin College campus, which is otherwise inaccessible. So had this plan in place, put it up on Facebook. I was expecting, I don't know, 20, 30 orders, something like that. It went viral, and I got 10% of the campus ordering a burrito from me. Well, let's get some perspective. What is 100% of the campus? Like, what's the population? It's only, it's 2,000 people. So it's not like. 10%, 200? Yeah, yeah, it was close to 200 people. 200 orders? Uh, Yeah, 200 orders in one afternoon. How much are you charging for a, a. a Portland pickup. I mean, you could probably get away with charging like another 10 or $20 a head. I would imagine. I don't remember exactly what I charged. I think it was like a three or $4 delivery fee and tips and stuff like that. $200, but times $3. Yeah, yeah. no, it was, it was a good amount of money for $600. Absolutely. To go on a 45 uh, minute drive. Yeah. Hour and a half round trip. Exactly. Every week. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that was kind of the start of my entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, Chipotle Friday was just like an awesome success. Uh, I started it halfway through the second semester of my senior year, so it didn't last too long. I I graduated soon after. Um, I tried to, but the kid who took it over, you know, ended up. Not everybody has the bug, man. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. So what else? Like, what did you end up doing right after college? Were you. So from there, I went and I worked at a hedge fund. Um, I worked, I got a job the math side. on, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it was more on the strategic operations team. Okay. It was a uh, department called the Transformation Department at Bridgewater Associates, which is one of the largest hedge funds in the world. It's located in Westport, Connecticut. And uh, the the mission of the transformation team, what it's founded by Ray Dalio, who's been out lately, his book, Principles, um, he's been pushing a lot, so people may have heard of Ray or Bridgewater through that. Um, he's a super successful guy, really really knows what he's doing. But I was lucky enough to get a job on the transformation team with the mission of transforming Bridgewater from a boutique founder-led institution um, into you know transitioning to life after Ray at the helm. Um, and so we would take on all the large-scale, cross-functional, kind of super complex, multi-year projects to, to do that transformation. Nice. Um, do you think you grew as a professional here? Are there things that you learned during that time that you think are serving you today? So much. Like what? So much. Uh, the mantra that I just shared, I developed at Bridgewater. The whole culture there is about radical truth and radical transparency. And so it's a very, very different corporate culture than anywhere else you would ever work. When you say there, you're saying Bridgewater. At Bridgewater. Yeah. 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 So people are super blunt about, uh, all types of feedback in terms of, you know, how you're doing in this meeting, you know, how, how good or bad your email was. Um, it, it was a pretty crazy environment to work on where you're getting constant feedback all the time. And as, you know, my first job coming out of school, I learned a lot about who I was as a professional and what my strengths and weaknesses were. Yeah, there's kind of been a hot topic lately on the show is this idea of just radical candor and the power of radical candor. And when I think of 
and if you're not familiar with the term candor, it's just what you're describing right now, direct yep. speaking. Not to break somebody down, but it's like for less, for good or great, like this is just the truth of how I feel and how you're coming off and what's happening, or at least from my perspective, this is my truth, and I'm going to share it with you. And it's not to piss people off. It's just to get to the, the, the core of things. That right? is exact. I mean, that was the exact philosophy. Yeah. And that was like a huge takeaway that I took from working at Bridgewater was the value of candor yeah. and, and telling people because that develops trust. If you tell people what you're thinking, how you're feeling, you know, they will tell you back and you can develop that relationship and develop that trust. And it's funny, like at Bridgewater, you spend a lot of time working on that. There's like actual tools where you could, you know, someone screws up, you log it in the issue logger. Um, you would, give someone um, a rating on a 10 point scale after every interaction of like 50 different attributes. And so like it's constant feedback and people would say, Hey, like when are you guys actually doing the work? If you're just like giving each other feedback all the time. But I would argue that the work was in giving each other feedback all the time, because then when it came down to working on that super stressful last minute project, those relationships and that trust was already in place. Yeah. And just the situational awareness of communicating and like communication is one of those things. That's probably the, one of the most underrated aspects of business. Everyone as a, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, you have a vision, you have an idea of the way things are supposed to be, but other people don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you constantly have to be communicating that you constantly have, and not just the vision, but the standards, the, the, the expectation. And that's what systems and processes do is it communicates those things. So there is 100%. no question about what the job done right looks like. Yep. That's, that's all communication, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you learned about the, the, the importance of transparency, uh, direct talk how that forms trust and how if you're that, that all just, contributes to the greater communication and that speeds things up. Yep, exactly. What else did you learn? Um, I learned, I learned, I learned a lot about myself. Like I, I tend to be like a kind of black and white thinker. Um, I'm, I'm a relatively determined person. Um, and, uh, but I do have trouble like dealing in ambiguity and in that gray space a bit. And so, you know, that, that's something that I've learned that I have to watch out for. Um, as I'm going out onto my own now, you know, when there are situations that have that gray area, I have to lean on the people around me to, to kind of talk through it sometimes. And I'll do that more than I might have had I not been at Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Ray. He's the founder. Uh, what was the book that you, you said he was? Principles. Principles. Yeah. So he developed like a whole set of both investment and management principles. Um, and what's his last name? Ray Dalio. Dalio. Yeah. I'm interested in this book. Oh yeah. You should definitely, you, I mean, if you based off of our conversation so yeah. far, you would dig this book a lot. It's it got a lot like of it. interesting stuff in it. Yeah. I mean, are there any other big, how, how long were you with Bridgewater? I was there about two years. Okay. So up until like 2016. Yeah. Okay. What happened yeah. after 2016? Um, in 2016, I got laid off. Okay. Um, and what caused that? Cause 2016 was like a, economically good year. Yeah. I mean, the, the company was going through a contraction, just, you know, had expanded too much a couple thousand people. And so there's, there's constant, constant change there. Um, a lot of turnover. So I got laid off at Bridgewater. Um, I, I had moved to New York city at the time. Uh, so I was living in the East village at this point with three of my, my best friends from college. And I got a job at a startup called Breather. It's like a real estate startup. It was kind of a WeWork competitor. Okay. We rented short-term meeting space and, and office space um, from anywhere 
like from an hour up to months at a time. Okay. Uh, and I, I did strategic operations there. Okay. What do you, what do you mean by strategic operations? Like, what does that look like? Basically architecting like the, the processes and policies to, um, allow the operation to run. So it's, it's kind of like a, a catch all term, I guess. Um, but, uh, in terms of communication, you know, it's setting those guidelines and standards so that the day-to-day operators can go out and actually execute with the clear expectation of knowing, you know, what the processes, what the expectations are. Got it. Uh, as you're taking on these roles, I mean, what, so how long were you with, what was the name of this company? Breather. Breather, like breathing? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, you were with uh, Bridgewater, then you were at Breather from yep. 2016 to... 2018. 2018. Yep. What happened after that? Um, then I, you know, the company was going through changes and I, I got another job at, um, at Walmart, actually, uh, helping to launch a new grocery delivery service, Walmart in-home. Um, okay. I will say, like, just to, to at Breather is when the vision for Bagel Fest and Brooklyn Bagel Blog yeah. kind of was born wanted, and began. I wanted, like, but zoom we can up to like thirty thousand yeah. feet real quick to make sure, sure I sure. saw a big picture. So back to Breather. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're starting to like develop a niche for yourself. Where at Bridgewater, you learned about the importance of communication, and I mean that just that alone is such a huge skill to pick up early on as yep. a professional. And then now you're leveraging more of your your mathematic and strategic planning skill set and the power of systems and process and standardization. I'm filling in the blanks. Is this kind of what was that new to you at this point? Or were you doing that a little bit before? Like what did you learn about that process of creating process? No, that that's a hundred percent what I was doing. And that's my specialty is like creating those scalable kind of efficient operations in like a repeatable manner. Okay. Um, And so I got like a lot more, responsibility at breather it was it was interesting I, at bridgewater i was a tiny cog in a giant machine and then you go to a startup like breather that had i think 150 people at the time and all of a sudden like the decisions that i'm making on a day-to-day basis are impacting the bottom line mm. um so it i felt like at bridgewater i really developed my toolbox of different ways to approach problems in a systematic and strategic way and at breather i had the chance to really apply those uh in in a manner that affected the the bottom line nice uh so you said it was during this 2016 to 2018 time at breather where you kind of the vision for bagel fest started to bubble up inside of you what what was your relationship with bagels from the time that you discuss like that you're eating them every day because you're a football player and you need your carbs to this point. Like, did you maintain that relationship with bagels? Yeah, I was still, how are you not giantly? I, <laughs> okay, also, like, yeah, it, it, I know people can't see me right now, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I work out, you know, a good amount, okay. try to stay in shape. I will say there are a bunch of weights outside his door. So there, I, don't <laughs> I don't know if those are just for show. But, it's, um, it's true. So, when I moved down to New York City, uh, I'd mentioned I did that in about 2015, lived with a few friends in the East Village. You know, my, my love for bagels kind of took on new heights. The first time I had the original Essa bagel on 21st and 1st, it blew my mind. Like, it was an absolute epiphany. I, I just didn't realize that bagels could be that good. And from that point on, I made it my mission to find the best bagel in the city. So after I moved down... Many of my weekends, you know, were spent waking up hungover and then taking the subway somewhere around the city (laughs) just to like, yeah, just to like explore and look for the best bagel and And just kind of like, exactly. (laughs) It was like uh, killing three birds with one stone. I hear that. 
So I was still eating bagels like every day and kind of like searching for the best shop and, and always keeping my eye out for that. But just like in a very fun sort of hobby manner. Yeah. So is this around the time the blog is formed or did that come later? So I'll, I'll tell you the, the whole okay. story of like how this all yeah, yeah. officially came to a start. So I was traveling around New York, going to a bunch of bagel shops. I was also, you know, as, as a New Yorker does, going to a bunch of food festivals around yeah. here because there's a festival for pretty much everything Except in New York. Bagels. Until now. Exactly. <laughs> so I went to you know, Pickle Fest, the Hot Sauce Expo, Coffee and Tea Festival. And one night I was at an event called the Punderdome, which is separately just like an incredible event that you should look into. Um, it's a pun competition that takes place in Gowanus, Brooklyn, about once a month. And I was, I was standing there in the crowd, a little tipsy, having, I think I had just come from the coffee and tea expo the, the weekend before, and I was thinking to myself, man, I wish I loved puns. I wish I loved anything as much as these people love puns, because they are absolute incredible pun peditors. When you say pun, you're talking about like like the verbal, like playing words. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah, exactly. They basically do like pun battles with Got each it. other. So like I, I thought to myself, I wish I loved anything as much as these people love puns, and then my next thought was, wait, I do. I love bagels. (laughs) And uh, I just kind of like strung everything together where I was like, oh shit, I should go to the next. Can I curse, by the way? There's something you can say in this podcast that I haven't already said. Okay. All right. Cool. (laughs) All right. Great. Um, So I was like, yeah, I should go to the next bagel fest. And went on my phone, looked it up. Nothing to be found. There was, there was nothing on there. So I went home, I went back, you know, talked to my roommate. I was like, Hey man, like, I must be missing something here. We're in New York City. There's a festival for everything. It's the home of bagels. I can't find the Bagel Fest. Like, help me find this. And me and him spent a week searching through the internet, trying to see, like, had anyone done this previously and they just stopped or any... No one in the history of New York City had done a Bagel Festival. And so at that point, I decided I was going to do it. Man, you got me thinking about doing a Calzone Fest right now. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Why not? Yeah, exactly. So, but there's a story behind this. While we were setting up, uh, I, I was telling Sam the kind of the backstory of Restaurant Stoppable and how I was looking for a restaurant business podcast, one that focused on business, but also personal growth and just growing in general and sharing knowledge. There were so many podcasts back in 2012 that centered around just sharing information and, and being open and vulnerable. And I was like, why don't we do this in the restaurant industry? Why don't we share like this? That's probably half the reason why our industry is so fucked up is because we hold information close to our chest. We don't come together. We look at the people on our street as competitors, not collaborators, you know? And that's kind of, but like when you, the point I'm trying to get is when you see something and you can't find it, that is a good hint that, you're not the only person looking and that there might be an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Is that ice cream? That is ice cream. Ooh. Yeah. After the, after we wrap up, we okay. can go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Um, yeah. So, so that is, you know, the vision for bagel fest was born. I, another thing I'd learned at Bridgewater and, and even at breather was like the corporate life was not for me long term. That is just not what I was going to do for my whole career. And so that kind of entrepreneurial bug that I've had and kind of flared up at while I was at Bowdoin, um, really bit me again and I was like okay well if no one else has done it I'm gonna do it and this can be my thing yeah what was it about the corporate life that didn't sit well with you it's just too boring I don't know like I want my like I love good stories and at the end of my life when I look back on it like I just want to have done something really cool and interesting with my life and 
sitting in a, you know, sitting in an office and doing something super corporate and, and making a lot of money, like just didn't sound interesting to me. I wanted to do something more meaningful than that. Mm. I like it. I think now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we are back. And you just started getting to sharing how you were looking for Bagel Fest. It didn't exist, which is a good clue to start something. Um, we also started to talk about like this happened while you're at not Bridgewater breather uh, breather. Thank you. And, um, in 2018 was when you went to Walmart. So yeah, did you evolve as a professional? Any, any life lessons worth pulling from that part of your life that we can share with the listeners? Um, from my, my time at breather, uh, or just, yeah, I mean, yeah. we kind of anything that like kind of any skills, any lessons, anything that you think sets you up for success and doing your own thing. Um, just, yeah, like having the responsibility, like I, like I talked about, like really like having impact on the business, like left a mark on me, you know, I'm a young professional and I'm, I'm making big decisions and, uh, I think responsibility causes you to grow, whether you're ready for it or not is another question. Um, and you can step up to meet the challenge, but I think just putting yourself in that kind of uncomfortable situation sometimes will force you to grow. Yep. And, um, now, so with Walmart, this is kind of your, well, not your first food and beverage because you had your own delivery thing. Yeah. But you're kind of back into the world of food and beverage. Was that an appeal to you? Is it, Has it always been a draw for you to get to get into food and beverage? Definitely. I've always had like some interest in it. My dad, uh, he's a he's a chef. He lives in Israel. Okay. Um, I haven't, you know, lived with him for most of my life. But, you know, I've got that background. And uh, even in college... Um, during my summers, I would help out like a local vegan restaurant back in Worcester, Mass. That makes the best vegan food of all time. Belmont Vegetarian in Worcester, Mass. You should actually stop by on your okay. way back. It's phenomenal. It might and, be like eleven o'clock at night, but well, yeah, <laughs> it might not be open. Or... But uh, <laughs> at, on one of these trips down it's from New Hampshire, for sure. Yeah. So, 
where like what what were you doing for Walmart? Because you, you started getting into it before, like the new job you're doing logistics with delivery and stuff. Yeah, like that, right. So get into that strategic operations Got again. It. So I was helping them launch a new delivery service called In Home Delivery that uh, utilizes Walmart Associates to deliver food all the way to your fridge, even if you're not home. Wow. So we would use, you know, the delivery associates would wear a body camera and we would use smart locks or smart garage controllers and a whole bunch of technology to essentially allow the associate one-time access to deliver groceries and other goods from Walmart into the home, even if you're busy at work or taping a podcast. Yeah, and this is in 2018. Talk about good timing, right? Yeah, yeah. Get. So I'm sure that was good of Walmart to be ahead of the curve, right? Which is one of the reasons why they're so prevalent as an organization. But did you learn, did you grow as a professional during this time? Is it worth getting into any of those lessons? Oh yeah. No, I, I learned an incredible amount. Again, I had a lot of responsibility. I ended up hiring a team that was spread out across the country, you know, team of 10, 12 folks uh, at its peak, um, you know, distributed Pittsburgh, Kansas city, Florida, and so learning how to manage and lead a team that's distributed across the country um, was an awesome life lesson that has really... Yeah, let's think, get into that yeah. because I think that's one of the things that restaurateurs struggle with mm. when they scale. They A lot of restaurateurs, uh, they start with one or two locations and when when they get beyond that, it's, like, it's the communication that starts yeah. to break down because they were just so used to everyone just being around them and they're there, they're present and they just tell people what to do physically in that moment and through action of, of people watching you set the standard. Right. Yep. But when you were now say at a 10 location operation and you got locations in cities that are a plane ride away, that communication, that culture starts to break down. So what did you learn about how to maintain that culture and that communication across distance? Um, I mean, like you said, like it, it really comes down to communication. You got to, I mean, this is like nothing groundbreaking, but you stop doing and you start teaching and sort of managing. Um, and I, I think just like setting up systems of communication where you have the right touch points with the right people and are setting the right expectations and allow them to kind of own that and then communicate that down to the people that they're managing is a huge thing. So, you know, we would, I would have, I would meet with my direct reports a couple times a week to check in on things. And we would have one big team meeting that involved everybody once a week, no yeah. matter what. And so just finding that cadence where, you know, you're getting the right touch points with the right people is. It's, it's a combination of, of regular routine, habitual communication and delegation and trust. Yeah, right? exactly. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you. And I'm actually going through this process right now as I'm growing my team. I have my videographer who's going to be based in Iowa city. I'm in New Hampshire. My, my right hand guy, Jared, uh, who I don't even have a title for him. Uh, <laughs> he is, um, he's like the one stop shop. He's the glue is what I call him. He holds everything together. Nice. He keeps me under control. Uh, he's right there. But then my, my community manager might be in Texas. So like, how do you like that scares the shit out of me? Yeah. How do you, I'm such, I'm like one, I'm one of those people that's hardwired to be like shoulder to shoulder with people in the trenches. Yeah. So, and for me, the solution has been this great book. Um, it's called traction. Uh, Gino Wickman wrote that book and it's the entrepreneurial operating system. And it's literally a system for communicating and delegating and using it's, it's so important. It's, it's setting up those routines, those weekly meetings, those quarterly meetings yep. those, and, and just saying, here you go. Like, this is your rock. This is your focus. I trust you. In a week, come back. Tell me the progress we made. Is that kind of 
align with what you were sharing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You set those high level goals. You know, you you work with that person to develop a roadmap, check in points along the way, and uh, you know, you you try to stick to that as much as possible. You basically have to have a plan. You have to agree on a plan. And then you have to either stick to that plan or communicate with each other when that plan changes. And that's that's like what it's all that's what it boils down to. Got it. Um, If anybody's listening to this and they're interested in what we're discussing right now, the importance of communication and delegation in building an operating system. I highly recommend you check out Traction because I'm going to be getting the mm. co-authors of Traction on the show in the next couple of months. Oh, nice. So if and this is something that I'm, I'm listening to that book on a loop right now. And it's one of these things that I'm doing. Like I'm not going to read the next book until I've actually done the things that I've learned in the first book. Cause I've been guilty of that over the past 10 Absolutely. years. Absolutely. Well, you'll read like a hundred books and you're like, I've learned so much. I'm not applying any of these lessons to my business. Like yeah. what's the point of like reading these books? So I really do want to slow down going forward. And if you guys are interested in, in growing with me, then that book is going to be a hot topic. And I highly recommend you guys check it out. So when Gino Wickman comes on the show, um, you'll know what we're talking about. Sounds great. Okay. So back to your story, you are now, you have this idea for bagel fest. Yep. Uh, you are, when did you actually start making moves to like to develop this idea? Pretty much right away. So I realized that, um, you know, Bagel Fest didn't exist for maybe for a reason. Like it, it, it's not bagels as a food aren't the most portable thing. Like it's not the most you can't eat so many of them. Like they're not the most set up for a festival style situation. And, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, before I like threw an event, I knew that I needed to get to know the shop owners and the people around New York city who are making this food to see if it was possible and to get them involved in the process. Um, and so kind of right away is when I found a Brooklyn bagel blog, which was just an Instagram account. It was never actually a blog, um, that essentially chronicled my journey to different bagel shops around the city in search of the best of the best. And, and really the purpose of it, it was always a means to an end. And that was just to develop a reputation as the bagel guy and develop relationships with all of the folks throughout New York city in the bagel industry. And uh, also develop like a, a real expertise in it as well. So how do you package yourself when you're approaching these companies? What does that look like? Are you, are, are you, how transparent are, are you with your intention of trying to grow something? Are you just introducing yourself as somebody who loves bagels? What's that look like? Um, in, I think it depends really like for the most part, I'm introducing myself as like someone who loves bagels, this guy who's working on bagel fest, like trying to see if that's something that, you know, your business could benefit from that you could benefit from. If that's something that you want to get involved in and see if there's like a mutual compatibility there. Um, your first bagel fest was 2019. That's correct. Yeah. So it took me a couple of years to actually like go from, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I was working still working full-time jobs. And so this was like all side hustle done on the side, exactly yeah. the side hustle. Yeah. Um, but this uh, is a lesson in itself, the side hustle. Yeah. I think people think that they just have to stop everything they're doing to start something new and you, you swing into it. You do what you can. Oh, God, no. Yeah. yeah. Like don't give up your nine to five, like, like get to the point eventually when you had that cash flow there, but what you're going to build is going to take time. So just slowly start putting pressure on it. Right. That's, that's absolutely it. I mean, 
it's taken me five years mm-hmm. to take the leap to do this from side hustles to full time. And I've had people ask me about like, hey, like, you know, very similar, like, when should I go all into my side hustle? And the answer is it takes years because yeah. what you're really doing is developing a reputation. You know, that's what it takes in order to be successful. People need to know you and they need to trust you. And the only way they're going to do that is if you have longevity. Mm-hmm. You need to show commitment and dedication. And so there's no shortcuts to that. You, you just, it's going to take years. So if you're not willing to put, you know, a couple of, at least a couple of years into this before, like, before you're, you're going to make the jump, I would, rec- you know. Yeah. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. And, and you, you, you gotta, it has to be your passion for you. This is like the thing that you think about all the time. Like whatever that side hustle is going to be, hundred percent, it's going to be the thing that you're going to obsess about anyway. You know, like that will give you the endurance to show up after working a 40 to 50 hour a week at your full-time job yep. to do the thing that will eventually be your full-time job. Um, okay. So we talked about just the, the importance of just starting and just putting yourself out there. And I think a, a big lesson is also just start where you can. And that's where you were. Like you started with an Instagram account and yeah, that's not technically a blog, but when you think about what a blog is, it's just a domain with posts. Yeah. So like you can think simple, you know, like start an Instagram account and have that be it or whatever Absolutely. your thing is, TikTok, yeah. Facebook, whatever you want to do. And then just start. What was your strategy to take it from there? Um, going out, meeting people, were you like promoted? Were you making posts? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was posting every day. I was doing reviews, you know, of the shops to like show like, Hey, I'm the bagel expert. Like I'm going to tell you about how good or bad these bagels are and why. And, uh, you know, I kind of maybe burned a couple bridges along the way with yeah, some of the folks insane. that I, I like, oh. cause you got to throw shade sometimes. You, you do like, yeah, you got to be honest. Yeah. You got to be candid. Like we were talking about, yeah. um, to develop that trust with your viewers now. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a few folks that are, you know, we're not on good terms and like, so be it. But I've always just been honest about what I think is a good and bad product and, that that is what it is. Like if you're making crappy bagels, like I don't want you at Bagel Fest anyways. So, yeah. you know. There you go. Um so you started with just kind of being this place that was like a your mission sounded like you're trying to connect New York New York consumers with the best bagels in New York. That yeah. was kind of what was driving this in the beginning. Yep. Exactly. Um, what what was next for you? How did you evolve from there? Um Throw in the first bagel fest. Like at some point it went from like, okay, I've got this Instagram account, like I have this idea and vision to like you know, throw this event that brings the best of New York under one roof for New Yorkers to, you know, enjoy the best of the bagel world at one place in time. And, uh, after two years of, of kind of working on, on this account and posting and doing reviews. So like, I just had to do it. I had to do the first bagel fest, even though I didn't feel remotely ready to do so. Um, so, the first one was intended to be like very much like a friends and family thing. Like I just wanted, you know, 150 of my friends and friends of friends to, to show up. I was going to source bagels from a dozen of my favorite shops that I'd found on this journey in the past couple of years. And it was just going to be like a kind of like casual party. Um, so I invited all these bagel shops to participate. None of them said yes. They were all like, oh, I don't know, like this sounds kind of weird. You, you gave me a seven out of ten. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Some of them were nice enough to donate like some of the product, but like really this first event, like 
my girlfriend and I were running around New York City buying bagels like the morning of, bringing them to this space that I had found in Bushwick and uh, chopping them up into quarter-sized pieces, you know, along with my friends who had like volunteered to help make this happen. And, uh, you know, setting up like an all-you-can-eat bagel party that, um, you know, the, the, the one benefit I did have, Brooklyn Brewery did take a chance on me and they sponsored the event nice. and, and supplied beer for the entire event. Um, so I was able to brand it as like unlimited bagels and beer, which made carb it like, party. yeah, it was a carb heaven, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, for 10 bucks, which like just made it like a super accessible time. And we set it up. I invited my friends and family, you know, threw some flyers up around the city, posted on Facebook. I was hoping for 150 people by the end of the day, we'd had over 350 people show up, most of whom were strangers, like not in my network, who had just heard about it on Facebook, on a poster, and thought it sounded like a cool idea. So how much money did you have to put into this project to get it going? I think I put like five or six grand. Like I really, it wasn't like a whole lot, but I was able to get the space donated, the beer donated, some of the bagels donated, like my friends volunteered and like they were the staff like my friends were doing all the bartending upstairs and like so you, at the end of this festival you yeah. you were in the hole you didn't profit from oh that. no not at all you're like because you raise about three thousand dollars yeah if my math is right. yeah 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 you exactly know? so this is truly just like a, a, a passion project for you at this point like, yeah i think that's that's the other thing that you have to be very mindful of you're not going to make money when you start something at first, likely you have to be willing to to do it for the sake of doing it and just like paying $3,000 to do something that for you is just a good time. Like I'll, I'll pay $3,000 because I want to do this. I'll fund doing this. Uh, it, it took me four years with the podcast of showing up two to three episodes a day to get to the point where I was like making money where I could even like find sponsors. You know, and I think yeah. that's something that is super important for people. Like you said, you have to put that time in, you have to hustle, you have to show that longevity. Uh, so reflecting back at your first bagel fest, when, that was 2019. So you said a couple of years, anything that we skipped between you starting the, the blog or the, you know, the, the bagel, uh, blog, Brooklyn bagel blog, which was your Instagram account, which now you've grown to nearly 4,500 followers. Yep. Um, any other like key lessons in between that we skipped if we're trying to start something like a movement or not movement, but like a, I don't know, we, before the fest, you weren't really a fest. You were just a, yeah, I was just a guy yeah. with, with a phone. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, I think the, and the a, in a mission in and a mission. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That was it. I had a North star, which was huge. Yeah. That's what kept me going back day after day. The other big lesson that I took away, I don't want to interrupt, oh, yeah, go. but also a vision. I think that's really important because you knew from day one that you wanted to start a fest. Yes. So like, yeah, sorry. But yeah, no, that, that's exact. I would have given up mm-hmm. a thousand times yeah. had I not had this. I need to throw this festival. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, like uh, the other big lesson that I took away from it was I had no idea what I was fucking doing mm. like at all with Instagram, social media. I go back to my early posts and it is so embarrassing and cringeworthy to see what I thought was like good content and how to present it and everything. But it didn't matter. Like the important part was just starting. How was do we just start this conversation going. 1% better every day? And that's exactly yeah. it. That's but if the you mantra. don't start, you can't get better. That's exactly yeah. it. Don't try to perfect it. Like yeah. that was really it. it was just like, just do it. And like, I don't know. I feel like that's very common advice in like all of these sort of books it's, and it's podcasts so and everything. Though. But like you just really start. have to do it. And I, and I will say like having that mission and that vision and that North star 
really helped me get over the embarrassment of putting myself out there and like putting that cringe because yeah. it's like whatever this is just like a means to an end yeah i and we're here talking about festivals right now as a, a vertical but that this i think this mentality of just start where you can applies to restaurants too i think most people getting into the restaurant business think that starting means getting into a brick and mortar mm. and that's just not true start an instagram account get yourrestaurant.com Start sharing your story of what you're doing to open your restaurant. Collect emails, build a list, and just start and and just put yourself out there. And like you could literally chronicle, hey, I want to open a fill in the blank restaurant. I'm gonna go into all the fill in the blank restaurants in the country and stage or like work six months to learn the business. Document that. Like that's starting. And I think people need to, to see the world through a new lens because that's there's so much you can do today that you couldn't do 20 or 15 years ago to start where think smaller, you know, think about where can I where can I start? Start there. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I actually think it's a red flag if you can only get started if you have X, Y and Z thing, yeah. you know, that's like an indication that your mindset isn't where it needs to be to, to do this long term, because once you get that. You know, I did this in in college. I thought I was going to be a music producer, but I could only make beats if I had this sick piece of equipment. I saved up, whatever, never made beats. Like I was just waiting to get this piece of equipment. Finally got the MPC 5000. I made maybe two beats with it total in my whole life. And like that was, you know, it was just like I, I, I had said, I can't get started until X. And then when I finally got X, that was just an excuse that I was using to hold me back the whole time. And I just ended up wasting my money. So same thing probably for restaurants. If you're saying I can only operate when I have the perfect brick and mortar location. It's never going to happen. Exactly. It will never be perfect. Even when you think you have what you need to make it perfect, it's still not going to be perfect. Exactly. So 2018, your first fest goes off. Well, you get over, double what you were expecting to get yeah. for, as far as participation and show and, up. and the feedback, the feedback was amazing. What was like, the feedback? Everyone that walked through the door said, I can't believe this didn't exist. Right. I can't believe this was the first bagel fest in the history of New York. <laughs> and just to hear that over and over is it again, just documented from, history or like, is this truly the first man? Like, cause it's so please, hard to believe if, if you're, if you or your <laughs> listeners can find an example of someone doing this before, I would love to see it. We got to go to the New York state. Or is there like a uh, Manhattan library with like news clippings going back to maybe? Yeah, <laughs> I mean there there have been other bagel festivals outside of the city. There's one in Mattoon, Illinois, where I think Lenders Bagels is you know their factory is, and there's one in like Monticello, New York, but it's more like a county fair that just calls itself a bagel fest. There's never been an actual event centered around bagels. Wes, if you're listening to this. You're the only person that I've ever heard reference Mattoon, Illinois until this point. <laughs> I, I hope you're excited. I hope your ears perked up when you heard that. Uh, he's one of our regular listeners. And he's out in Mattoon. It's like, where's that? Um, but anyway, sorry. My nice. ears perked up. Yeah. Um, so what happened from before we actually, before we move on, is there anything that we should know about as far as I'm assuming like New York city isn't an easy place to just have a festival. Yeah. 
was there permitting involved or did you just get like, was it like under the radar? Let's just rent a physical space and invite our friends over and not tell anybody like, are there legalities and things like that you need to consider? I mean, 300 people is a lot, but it's not like you could, you could rent a hall and have no issues yeah. as far as facilitating that. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit under the radar. Okay. There's a lot of permitting and regulations in New York, especially when it comes to food and throwing food events. Yeah. Um, I might not have, you know, adhere to all of those in my first year. Um, but I think sometimes there's just, when you're doing something for the first time, you can get away with a lot. Yeah. You know, and if you're only expecting 150 people, 300 people, again, I think just start and like ask for forgiveness if you do get in trouble. But like, oh, this was my first one. I had no idea I needed to get a permit for that. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't hear that from me. No. <laughs> I, I'm not saying this, but like, don't let that stuff stop you from starting. Yeah. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, any other thing that we should consider if we're, if we're doing this for the first time, or is that going to come out in maybe the second fest? Now you're going to your third. So this is, this is the third or the fourth. This so, is the third coming okay. up now. Yeah. So what changed between the first and the, the, um, the second, second one, one yeah. the, I mean, the second one was, an entirely different beast. So what the, made it different. The the first one was like as DIY as it gets. Yeah. You know, like I said, we were running around. We were uh, you had procuring s- all the bagels. Source all the bagels yeah. from your favorite spots. Yeah. How many would you say you got from each spot? Like 200, 300? I think we got like a, a hundred from each spot, something like that in the okay. first, in the first fest. And then you chop them up into what quarters, quarter size pizzas, got, got like a whole bunch of cream cheese, put that out. And you know, people were just serving themselves. Were you toasting them? Were you just not really them? like there were some, yeah, I think we had a couple toasters, but we blew the fuse How pretty big was quickly. The space you were in? Um, man, I don't even know like the square footage of it, but it was a, it was a nice like community space in Bushwick that had two floors to it. So got we had it. the food on the first floor bar, and like games area down upstairs and we made it like super fun, like bagel themed. we made like a life size connect for sesame versus poppy. I had like <laughs> glued sesame seeds and poppy seeds to a connect Four set. We were doing like ring toss with Montreal bagels, which have that big hole in the middle of them and just like make it made everything as bagel themed as possible. Yeah. So I think this is a big part of it too, is have fun. Get creative. Oh, yeah. 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 100%. What other th- examples of things did you do to, to like make it a good time? We had, I mean, the big centerpiece was a inflatable pool that we filled up with day-old bagels that were going to get thrown out otherwise. And that was the first thing you saw when you walked in. And that was like the Instagram moment that everybody wanted. So everyone jumped into the bagel pool, took a bunch of pictures. <laughs> and uh, that honestly helped a lot because... Like, yeah, exactly. Hashtag bagel fest. Exactly. You had to create that sort of Instagrammable moment. What are the other little things like that, that we need to consider if we're going to do this, that helped you like the Instagrammable moments. So you're, you're trying to create a scene that people would like to take a photo of. Yeah. You're getting proactive with hashtags too. I'm assuming, or you can meet, or was was not there yet. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot with hashtags, but, um, I don't know, just like asking your network to promote, like not being like shy to be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, do you mind sharing it? You know, there was like a lot of that. There was a lot of like, hey, like, do you mind coming with me to hang posters all around Bushwick like tomorrow after work and just like asking people to to help? Yeah, I could be better about that. That's one thing I'm, I think a lot of people could be better about yeah. that for but sure. People want to help. Like when people, that's one thing that I've learned, like, Everyone wants to do something meaningful and interesting with mm-hmm. their lives. And if they can contribute, no matter how small, 
to something that they think is is cool or interesting, like Bagel Fest, they're happy to do it. You know, don't take advantage of people, but if you can give people a way to uh, you know to help out and contribute, then by all means, go for it. Yeah. So. 2020 would have been Bagel Fest 2. Yes. Something happened that year. Yeah, I don't I can't remember. Yeah, what, what what was it? We don't need to get in. Okay. Uh but I mean, did you plan for it? Yes. Like, so I was days from signing um well, good, signing good a contract on a space for fall of 2020. Um uh, you know, back in March. Yeah. And then COVID hit. I was like, I'm going to hold I'm, off. Yeah, I'm not going to sign this contract quite yet. Let's yeah. let's wait and see. Thank goodness I didn't. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up, you know, waiting basically a full year until things got real started getting back to normal. So was your first bagel fest? What was it? April, June, May? Or- it was September of 2019. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I, I started planning for so the next one. So you had two one. years to plan for the next one. Yeah. You did the next one until 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. I don't need to tell you that it's harder than ever right now to be a restaurateur. The cost of goods are going up. Labor expenses are going up. People don't want to work in the industry. Anybody who had experiences has gone on to different verticals or different industries. And we are just stuck with a lot of people who are very green and how, how do we increase sales if nobody knows how to sell? Well, you empower them with the right tools. And one tool out there that you need to know about is called SRV, which stands for Study Restaurant Variety, created by Roger Bodwin from Restaurant Rockstars, a name I'm sure you recognize for his multiple appearances on the show, and his co-founder and co-creator, Zaylin Jacobson, who you'll be working with. This is a tool that will help your team memorize your menu, your uh, your culture, uh, everything, anything you need to train them, your entire training manual is now in an app and accessible anywhere. And really what it is, is an interactive learning tool. And it's a great way to invest in your team and to make them feel valued. There's a lot of data supporting that. This is how the next generation of professionals prefer to learn. So if you need a tool out there to empower your staff, to train your staff, uh, to, to give them the knowledge they need to be sales stars, then check out srvnow.com click the link that says request a demo and 
that will bring you to a page where you fill out your information. The very last field, make sure you let them know that Restaurant Unstoppable sent you their way. They will pay us a commission of $1,500 if you use that link and you you sign up with them. And I just have to say thank you in advance. We're trying to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. And this is one way we can do that by just spreading the word about these tools. And uh, I believe in what they're doing over there. So you're in good hands. Uh, thank you in advance. All right. Do it now. We're back and uh, okay, you got your notes. I was asking you, what was the difference? How did you evolve from the first experience after going through it and just taking personal notes of like, this is what we have to do better for the next one. Like, how did you evolve? I would say to, to sum it all up, I had to make it from a DIY event to like a professionally run event that actually involved the vendors and the community in the process. Um, I'm looking back at my notes and there are so many things that we had to approve on from an organizational standpoint, um, how we served, you know, the food and drink, how we promoted everything, um, like really from top to bottom, everything it felt like needed to be done better the next time. So let's start with promotion because I feel like that's what happens before the actual event. Yeah. So what did you do differently to promote the event, to create awareness about the event? We're going to do this again from what, from 2002 to 21 to 2022 too. So what, what were the big lessons you learned between that gap? Well, the, the big thing was that I got the actual shops involved for the second year. We like, tried the first time, but it was your first time ever. So they were like, exactly, scram, kid. exactly. Yeah. So I had that proof of concept. I could go to them and I said, hey, this was successful. This worked. This is something people are interested in. And I want to help you. I want to recognize your business for the hard work that you do. And I want to get you in front of an audience that you otherwise wouldn't get access to. Mm-hmm. And getting them involved in the process totally flipped the switch. What was different about the first time, the second time, uh, the, the narrative aside from that, like, did you change the pitch? Did you get people? Well, I, I think the, probably the biggest thing was one of the, uh, one of the f- folks from Essa bagel, one of the best and best known bagel shops in New York city came to the first bagel fest undercover to check it out. You know, okay. she didn't like, let me know that she was coming. She was like, I want to see what this is all about. Yeah. So she saw what it was about. She saw the excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion. And so when I approached for year two, she said, yeah, we're in to do it. And once Essa Bagel said that they were in, mm-hmm. it became so much easier to get other shops to sign yeah. up as well. Yep. And that's the truth for everything, like sponsorship or whatever. Like, and it's something I've learned, like even trying to get sponsorship for like this 100% onsite road trips. Like you get that, that Keystone sponsor that, Everyone is like, well, if they're doing it, they they basically assume that that big company did all the research to know that it's worth the ROI. Uh, and yeah, then the, exactly. the, the droves come. So you had that first person sign up. Yep. Did you, were you name dropping? Were you like, oh, hell yeah. yeah okay. I was like, yeah, Essa Bagel's doing this. You <laughs> yeah. got to do it too. Like, are you really going to miss out on this? Leverage that. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. So you started, and I think the other thing too, which didn't come out the first time, but you mentioned it the second time was that you were really looking out for them. This, this isn't a thing for you. This isn't, it's, people don't do things because of what it's going to do for you. It's what's in it for me. Right. And when you take that approach of like, here are the benefits, here's what's in it for you. This is why you should say yes. And you list the benefits. People opt into benefits. Yes. So I think that's something that you might have, were you doing that differently this time? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was really, 
you know, and, and it's always kind of like, that's been the mission and the intention of it is to highlight these shops and what they do. And like, yes, like I want to make money off of it as well. It's a ton of work to organize and, you know, get this whole thing together, but it's really to celebrate what I think is, you know, this is my favorite food and it has been forever. And yeah. like, I'm in the, the, the Homeboy's pinnacle wearing of a it. bagel shirt. <laughs> he's, he's the real deal. Uh, the, the bagel guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you talked about uh, the, the recruiting was different. You were able to get uh, influencers yeah. that were, would, if they're doing it, we'll do it too. Yeah. We're selling the benefits of being involved. What else were you doing differently to recruit? Um, well, I think I, I do have to acknowledge like the timing of it worked out in my favor because we were kind of coming out of COVID. Like this was fall 21. Like, you know, it was still a strange time, but people had been cooped up for a long time. Had it, you know, business had been tough. Uh, people hadn't been traveling. And so I kind of gave them a platform to do something different to kind of like people are break. Itching. Yeah. To like, to get out and yeah. like do something and celebrate and party and, and drum and, up new business after the slow time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that was like a, a very helpful factor in it as well. Got it. Um, what about promoting? So you're, you're, we're talking about cr- like recruiting the actual, people who will be involved with the festival. Yes. But what about promoting the festival? Like when do you, how far before the festival happens, do you start saying like, this is going to like, when you start that process, not soon enough. It it never feels like it's soon enough. I think we started in July last year, um, for an October 2nd event. So I don't, what do we give us like, like two and a half months time, like not a whole lot. Um, and it was mainly just through like social media and, uh, and, and pitching the press. Well, that's, that's kind of one thing that I wanted to get to next. What, what assets are you leveraging to spread the word? What, what is the strategy, the plan to get the word out? Again, it is like leaning it like twofold. Like one is through social media and then second is through traditional mainstream press through social media. Your channels are limited to, you know, whatever your following is, but with a festival, the great thing is you have tons of amazing businesses and vendors and brands and people and influencers involved in it, and it's beneficial for them to promote the event and hype it up as well. And so we had, you know, all of the shops do a coordinated, the shops and the influencers do a coordinated post to say, hey, Bagel Fest is happening in two weeks. I'm going to be there. You should go too. Um so that was like one mechanism. So and what's that look like? So do you, yeah, so you, you pulling this all together. You have your vendors, you yeah. have the main stream media, you have influencers, which is the first time you mentioned you bring in influencers yeah. and you're coordinating all these people. So yeah. are you develop like, are you building a list, like an email list or is yeah. it, like, how are you communicating this? How are you bringing the, the players together to communicate what needs to happen? Uh, yeah, it's, it's mostly through, you know, email DMS through social media, like really hustling a lot to whatever, whatever means of communication, the customer, I guess you could call them like the vendor, the influence, whatever, like the the partner prefers is where I'm going to go. Cause I'm going to make this as easy as possible for this person to help out. And so for this coordinated post, which was like super helpful, it really got some buzz out about it. I wrote the suggested copy. I gave them the images. I sent it. I told them when to post it. You know, I, I did as much work as possible ahead of time so that they could just take that, 
make whatever tweaks they wanted to make it their own and put it in their own voice and then share it along with everybody else. So you're giving people, you're not just saying, Hey guys, promote this. You're giving them resources. You're taking, you're taking away the resistance. A hundred percent. You're like, you're making it as easy as possible. You're giving them the copy. You're like, here is the meat and you just fill in the little details that make it you. And here you go. Is that, so you're doing that for what? Like an, an email or is there a copy for like a Insta- like how many different templates did you create? Several. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I was going through as many channels as we could. I mean, mostly Instagram and, uh, and email are the okay. two main ones. Facebook as well a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that that's mainly. So it. what about these influencers? Were you paying them? Um, <laughs> In a mix. Yeah. Yeah. A mix. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had invited a few folks to participate as essentially like experts in the space um, yeah. as you know, everyone wants to hear like a panel of talk about, you know, how they engage with the food, what they think about it, especially people who um, have a relationship and a reputation as a bagel connoisseur. Yeah. Um, and so I invited them to all participate as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of like barter economy. So the, it sounds like the first festival was like, let's just eat bagels. Yeah. And drink beer and have fun. Yeah. The second one sounded like it was a little bit more like, let's get some influencers. Let's get some speakers. Let's. Yeah. Were you, were you talking about what was the focus? Was it the focus on like, here's the history of bagels. Here's the, here are bagel trends. Like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. That was the intention of it was to talk about all that stuff. The execution of it was terrible. Oh, okay. Completely my fault. Um, like the space that we had was just like this large open space. And so like we set up a stage with mics, no one could hear anything because uh, there were so many other people in there talking and everything. Yeah. So that was the intention. Did it go well? No, but I learned from it and kind of incorporating it this year. We've got a separate area for those talks and demos and, yeah. you know, like you can make the choice to go and, uh, exactly. and hear that smaller talk. space makes it feel a little bit more intimate. Um, and you can hear, and it's like, it's, yeah. it's separate. It's yeah. a, the, they call them break off sessions when you go to yeah. the big trade shows. Exactly. Like uh, so what did you do the second time other than the speaking and stuff like that? Like paint the picture of how the second one was different. Um, so again, it was like all you can eat and drink Brooklyn brewery, truly an angry orchard sponsored the event. Um, so, you know, with your ticket, you get in, you can sample was bagels. Was it still $10 and, or did you go up? The same uh, it went up. I think it was, I think it, the alcohol ticket was like 55 bucks last okay. year. Um, and, but it was still like kind of the same format. We did have those speakers. We had an entertainer, Kosha Dills. Shout out Kosha Dills. Um, he's a Brooklyn rapper. Nice. Uh, you know, he's wrote a song about bagels for, or a rap about bagels for National Bagel Day in 2021. And so he kind of, Got put on my map through that, and so uh, how did that even him. happen? Did you reach out to him? Or were you like, "Hey, Kosha, what's his name? Kosha Dills. Kosha Dills. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, how do how do you get performers to show up to your festival? Like, how does that even and, like, and to write a song for your festival? Did you ask this? No, or? he had written the song independently, oh. and I was like, "Dude, you should come perform this at Bagel oh, Fest. Okay, this okay. is perfect. Like, nice. this is the right audience for you." So it's creating win win situations exactly. over and over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there has to be something for everyone involved in it. Yeah. And you know, like that could be monetary compensation sometimes, mm-hmm. exposure, like wh- whatever it may be, free but bagels. free bagels. Yeah. Uh, merch. Like, yeah. I don't know, like whatever you can do to like help the other person out. 
Like it has to be that win-win situation. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So how, how many people came in 2021? So I was, again, this is a situation where my goal, like my hope was that we would get a thousand people when it was all said and done, we had over 1600 people show up wow. and that was turning off ticket sales the night before because they were just coming in too fast and furious. And I was worried about having enough food the yeah. next day to serve everybody. Yeah. So did you profit this time around? I did. Okay. Yeah. How much? Do you, yeah. Is that something you can talk about? Like, like I'd prefer not to, uh, okay. but like it was, I was, my goal was to break even and I did better than breaking even. Okay. How much did you spend to get this thing? What was the operational expense? I think it was like around 40 grand, something like that. So like, I think you said you spent, it was a what? $6,000 the first time around. Yeah. So I think you learned through the first time that like, wow, this, this is a bit, this is a big thing. Like, yeah, this, this takes money. What were you spending money on the second time that you weren't spending money on the first time? Um, everything <laughs> the the space rental like i had gotten that you know for free through a buddy the first time yeah um the furniture rental but now you have oh what four or five times as many people than the first time around. yeah so yeah you need to start spending money to make it safe a hundred percent yeah no this was like like i said like i was going from diy to like a legit yeah. operation and this is also probably when the permits start kicking in too because it's hard to bring totally. together 1500 people. i did it i did it legit the second the, year the city not noticing maybe new york might be easier because there's so many no they people. they know they show yeah. up too yeah. so yeah we did it legit we got all the right permits like that kind of stuff and then yeah um, paying for staff and event production is expensive yeah i don't know if new york is the best standard to compare yourself to as far as the cost of permitting i could imagine it'd be a little bit more expensive in a city like new york to get a yeah. permit for something but realistically what do you think somebody should budget for for a permit um i think i mean it depends on like the size of what you're trying to do for yeah. sure but a couple grand yeah what what specific permits do you think are universal that you have to think of I don't. I can't really speak outside of New York, but um, New York like, ones? there's just like a food service establishment or temporary food service establishment permit that if you're serving food anywhere in the city, you need this permit. Um, and do they come and, so and inspect you? Like, they will. Yeah, they'll come and inspect. Set up yet. So they come before like the day of. They'll, the no, they'll come during the event oh, and okay. like do the inspection live during the event. So, so you have to have. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've talked to other festival organizers who have had that happen. Wow. Um, so you have to have like all of that paperwork set. Um, what are the biggest offenders as far as things that will shut down a festival? Um, I don't know. Like food safety stuff is obviously paramount. Um, so having refrigerated goods that are left outside of refrigeration for too long, uh, temperature, anything that you would find in a restaurant, that's yeah. like you're going to apply the same thing at a festival. Yeah. And festivals are a bit harder because you typically don't have that infrastructure in place to keep things cool and at the right temperature for the right amounts of time and yeah. stuff like that. Got it. Um, so you had 1600 people show up. To yeah. The second one. Um, you made over $40,000 because you profited, uh, which is huge. You made enough to quit your full-time job. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I made enough to take a bet that I the could that quit my full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and any other lessons from that second time around, uh, being a little bit more, uh, I don't, I don't want to say professional, but yes, paying attention to the little things that you can't shrug off the first time around, like the permitting and things like that. Yeah. Um, 
you had more vendors involved. Were, yep. were you were you having the vendors kind of take care of everything at this point now? You weren't just buying the food, but they were right. bringing they, it with them. They were coming with their signature sort of sample. Got it. And, uh, you know, that that is what... So they all came with something. I mean, when you think of bagels, you know, most people just think plain bagel with cream cheese, right? Yeah. Out of the 12 bagel vendors that were there, each one of them had a different take on the bagel. So, you know... Black seed bagels came with a Reuben pastrami bomb, bagel bomb. It wasn't even like a real bit, you know, like a yeah. real bagel. Baz bagel had mini lock sandwiches and mini rainbow bagels and their signature beet horseradish cream cheese. Uh, the winning, I, this is a big component of it. We had a competition for the best bagel. So everyone, when they walked in, all the attendees got a token to vote for their favorite. And at the end, that. we tallied them up and awarded, you know, the, the best bagel. So the winner of that, Hilariously, the only non-New York City shop, Pop-Up Bagels, up in Connecticut. Shout out Pop-Up Bagels. They came with a Momofuku chili cream cheese with trout roe on top. (laughs) So they like, you know, everyone was kind of like putting their own spin on what the bagel could be. Uh, it wasn't just like a plain bagel with cream cheese. I have to do a calzone fast, man. Dude, this hell yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, what's your connection with calzone? I fucking love calzones. Okay. <laughs> I fucking love calzones. Anybody who knows the show, I'm, I'm always obsessing over calzones. Um, they're just fun. Yeah. For the same reasons bagels are fun. It's carbs and stuff on top, but instead of stuff on top, it's stuff inside. Yeah. And yeah. You no. Stuff your face with it. 100%. Where, where can you go wrong? Um, but I feel like we could have so much fun the creativity of a calzone totally too. it's bread and anything that goes good with bread exactly it's a, yeah yeah it's, yeah it's the same reasons why you love bagel it's a uh, vehicle a vehicle it's a canvas in yeah. which <laughs> these these people can can express their ultimate exactly. creativity it's it's fucking awesome yeah man uh okay so moving like progressing forward with the evolution of bagel fast yeah and how you're learning um what same thing Second to third. Yeah. What what was the evolution? What have you learned? How are you making the third one? Well, you don't know if the third one's going to be better yet. Yeah. Or I'm, I'm assuming you probably have an idea of how many attendees you have. Are you on par with where you were last year, or have you exceeded the numbers yet? Um, well, my, only a, it's my, next week. It's next weekend. Yeah. Yep. September 17th and 18th at yeah. City Point in downtown Brooklyn. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is going to drop before then. Probably not. Yes. Yeah? I, the, the Friday. The Thursday. Oh, next week. hell yeah. Let's Perfect go. Timing. Perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, I'm last year was a one day event. The first two years were one day events this year. I doubled it. So it's a full weekend thing. I mean, a lot of the feedback that I got last year, um, honestly, like people from the Jewish community where, you know, bagel is a, is a Jewish food. Um, they're like, Hey, you can't hold this on Shabbat. Like we can't come to this. Like you have to do this on Sunday. And so, um, because of that, and just like a whole bunch of reasons, I decided to make it two days this year. So we have two sessions. We also have, um, I split the day up into sessions. So last year it was one day, two sessions. This year it's two days with three sessions per day. Wow. And I made them smaller so that we could reduce the crowd size and make sure that everyone has a chance to hit all of the vendors. Yeah. That was one issue last year. There were just so many people that, lines and, yeah, yeah, the lines and everything. That's like the worst when you go to a food festival. Yeah, if the lines are too long, money you want to experience everything and you can't. Exactly. Yeah. So shorter, smaller sessions over a longer duration of time is kind of the goal, um, and and that way we can also serve more people. So shooting yeah. for, you know, twenty five hundred to three thousand attendees this year throughout the weekend is the goal. Have you had? 
Um, I think we're at about 700 that's right awesome. now. Yeah. I mean, it's all going to come in in that last week. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Event Especially planning when is... Op- when this podcast yeah. drops, <laughs> For sure. Hell, yeah. <laughs> no, event planning is so stressful. More than 50% of the tickets last year came in on the two days before and the day exactly. of. Like, yeah. it was like... So, I mean, you're already at your 2021 goal. Almost there. Like a, a week, week out. Before. Yeah. Where were you a week out before 2021? That might be a good number to kind of get. I think we were at like 25%. I think we had like 250 or so 300 tickets. You know, if, yeah. that's, if that's telling in any way, then you can expect probably upwards of what? Uh, 2,400,000? Yeah. Yeah. 2,400, something yeah. like that. And yeah. I'm going to cap it this year because I really. What are you going to cap like, it at? I'm going to cap it at max 500 people per session. Like no more and than how that. How many sessions? Nine? There's six sessions, so that would be 500 people per session. I really, really like. I, I collected feedback from attendees last year, and I got feedback that hey, like the lines were too you long. Like I didn't people. like. I mean, I think so. It's New York. I, there's millions of people here. And How what's many ticket people? gonna cost? Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Yeah. And like looking at a restaurant, like what. Like, how do you break that down as far as, like, here's the total income, here's your total revenue, and here are your expenses? Where, like, where, what are your prime costs of running a festival? Like, is it labor? Is it venue? Yeah, venue first and then labor okay. after that. Like, what the labor is the, the, the venue typically? The venue is probably around like 20%. Okay, and labor? 20 to 30%. And then labor is like really close to that. Um, it's really expensive to so we're at like to, 40% now. Yeah. What about yeah. like, uh, what are the other big expenses? Permitting, I'm assuming is up there. Uh, yeah, furniture rental, man, you wouldn't believe Rentals. how expensive renting furniture is. I mean, maybe, you know, but so if like, we're at 40% between labor and venue. Yeah. What would you say? Rental percentages? Rental is about 10%. Okay. So now we're at 50. Yep. What's yep. what makes up? Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating. No, the venue is a little more than 20. The labor is probably going to be more than 20. The rental is 10%. I'm just trying to give people yeah. an idea of what the percentages are so yeah. you can like reverse engineer it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. if you want to do this, then if this going to like, if it's going to, you know, like I think it's important for people to kind of get an idea because you didn't have anything to look to when you were getting started. Do you, were you going no. to other festival run people or oh, yeah. like asking like, what, like what do I Definitely. do? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I connected with, you know, a few folks. The, the guy who was most helpful is Steve Seabury who yeah. throws the hot sauce expo. Yeah. He was an open book and just like shared all his, so like networking and just uh-huh. like asking people who have done similar things. Mm-hmm. Great advice, you know, definitely do that. People are willing to help if, if you come to them, like with the right sort of approach and mentality that you're looking to learn. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I can I can bring up my budget right now and see what else I. I mean, this I have. is the kind of stuff that I'm trying to get better about. As far and just generally speaking with restaurants too, is talking about numbers and just getting realistic about numbers and educating people on what the numbers of business running the business look like. Um, okay, so I severely underestimated my like event production between the labor. I kind of just grouped all of the labor and furniture into one thing and that's about 50 percent on its own yeah and then the 20 percent for the 20 percent for the venue, venue. That makes then sense. i've got money for marketing entertainment and then just like administrative stuff like insurance and legal expenses and all I mean, that good that's stuff. The good stuff to talk about too like insurance yeah. like what kind of insurance do you need and um for events you just need special event insurance 
Uh, that's like a policy that you can get for, yeah. for stuff like this. Is that expensive? Yeah, it's a couple thousand dollars. Okay, and I'm assuming, yeah. I'm assuming the legal advice is probably another couple thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So it adds up fast. Adds up quicker Which than you'd believe. Which is why the first time, keep it small. Yeah. And fly under the radar. Proof of you, concept, yeah. exactly. Just yeah. like see Friends if it can work. Yep. Friends and family. And then just grow from there. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, I'm figuring it out as I go along, as as most people do. Yeah. And um, I appreciate you getting open and, and vulnerable, too, with the numbers. and the specifics. Radical transparency, man. Yeah, man. That's, that's how... That's how we make change, man. Um, so anything we haven't discussed up to this point, as far as key things that we should know if we want to do a festival. Yes, definitely. I would say the key learning that I've had from last year to this year, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why the hell are these vendors really participating? Like what, what is it about this event? Um, because they don't have to, I mean, they're, they're, taking their precious time, resources, money, and putting it towards participating in it. And I think that the key takeaway that I've had, it's really about the recognition. People want to be recognized for doing great things. And so we've, you know, we started with uh, a best bagel trophy. I was eyeballing those trophies. I'm going to get a close-up shot of those the, before we leave. <laughs> exactly. The, the people's choice. And now we're kind of expanding to more and more categories and subcategories to recognize people for doing great things. And like that, you know, yes, like it's great to be recognized, but it's also good for business because you can then put, hey, winner of the best bagel at Brooklyn Bagel Fest 2021 in your profile and in your shop and that says something. Yeah, and that's really the the game when it comes to any kind of awards model. It's a, it's a the, you grow that business by giving somebody an award, and they turn around and say, "Hey, everyone, look at this." And then that will be like people will be like, "Oh, like what's this thing?" And that's how you grow your awareness, and that's how you can start making good money with awards. A hundred percent through sponsorship and traffic. Wherever there's eyes and ears, there's money. Yep. And, yeah. and it's great for the shops, too. I mean, the winner of last year, Pop-Up Bagels, ended up getting a New York Times feature. And the reporter first heard about them through them winning Bagel Fest. They got a billboard on in um, the NASDAQ billboard in Times Square. Like, they really... Yeah. I mean, kudos to them. They did all of that work. Um, but they were able to take this and run with it. I've been thinking about creating an Unstoppable Awards. I have Dude, been, you should. I, it's been something I've been yeah. playing with. But there's a lot of awards that celebrate the food in the industry or like the, the attention to detail around the food, but not enough. I think celebrates the fiscal responsibility of an operation. Mm. I think we should be awarding people for being fiscally responsible, but people think, well, you're awarding people for making money. No, it's about making money so you can create security for other people and have like a fiscally responsible Mm. organization Mm -hmm. that creates security for people and opportunity for generations. And that's what it's about is creating opportunity and giving people security and giving people purpose. And I think there's a huge amount of operation or potential around just recognizing people in the industry who are doing that, who are creating opportunity for others. Yeah. And like, you know, these people, you know, you've talked to them. Like you actually like can say that with confidence. You're not just bullshitting. Like, you know, th- I think that's that matters too. Like, I think me developing a reputation as the bagel guy is helpful for facilitating this event and presenting this award. 
Like if it was just some random Joe Schmo off the street who was throwing a bagel fest, would it mean as much? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And but I'm, I mean, I'm not even deciding the award, but I'm at least bringing the right people to the table to be part of the conversation. Yeah. So that's a big part of the festival is an opportunity to recognize. This is the big takeaway. A hundred percent. The people are getting involved with this and that's a human need. When you think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have food and shelter, you know, your physiological needs and then security. And then beyond that, it's like, do you see me? Yeah. I, do, do, do you love me? Do yeah. I belong? And like you can hit those needs by just recognizing somebody, by giving them an award with their peers. Like that's so powerful. Like, I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And people underestimate that. Like people look at the James Beard that. Award. That's all about recognition. And that I, I could arguably say that that, that, the James Beard Foundation, a great foundation. I talk a lot of shit about James Beard <laughs> Foundation. I want to recognize that they do they do a lot of great stuff, and I, I've been meaning to like say this too. Like, I don't hate the James Beard Foundation or any food and wine. I, I kind of throw shade at sometimes too. I just think it's important that we communicate that um, it's not about the awards. You know, yeah. like there's so many people that don't that feel like they won't make it. They haven't made it unless they get a James Beard award. But if people are like going out of business chasing James Beard awards, because like the get a James Beard award is like not in my opinion, the type of restaurant that gets that award isn't financially stable because mm, their yeah. expenses are so outrageous. Right. Uh, and they don't have the business to to but you have to do those types of things, that type of labor to execute the food and stuff like that to like to get the award. Yeah. And unless you get the award, you're not going to drum up enough business to offset your expenses. So Chicken and like, egg. Yeah. It's yeah. Just like one of those things like, what are we doing? But I do think that they're a well-intended organization. I think it's important that I get that out so people don't think I'm just a, a, a hater. <laughs> um, but this is just the, the quintessential example that I go to every time when it comes to awards. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts as I share that? Um. I've I've heard similar things about like Michelin star restaurants yeah. too. Like some of them can are just totally financially unviable because of uh, what it takes to be exactly. a Michelin star restaurant. So and then everybody says, "Me too. I want to achieve that greatness." Right. Then you have a whole industry of fiscally irresponsible people chasing ego and awards. Yeah. So it's like be careful what you wish for yeah, type exactly. of thing. Yeah. So hopefully no one is going out of business at <laughs> by participating in bagel fest. So um, you said recognition. What else Yeah. Uh, on that heel of like what, what haven't we discussed yet? The other thing is just like the creativity. When you give people a platform to be creative, it is absolutely mind blowing what they'll come up with. Mm. We've got an ice cream shop, the social in Brooklyn. They were, um, it's the couple that founded ample Hills, which is a very okay. known ice cream chain around here. They've got a new place. Now they are creating a, bacon, egg, and cheese-inspired ice cream using real bagels as a part of it. This is something that I could never have pictured. But what they're does using, egg taste like? In, I, can, I can imagine the bacon. They're pureeing egg bagels and okay. like mixing that into the base of the cream cheese. They're candying the bacon, and they're putting a cream cheese swirl in it as well. And that's kind of going to... It's called Let Me Get A. Like, wow. Let me get a, you know, and uh, so just like, man, like the creativity behind that is unreal. So how do you stoke that creativity? You just give them a platform and you put them in front of the people and you promote what they're doing. And how do you get that? Is is it that a part of the festival is like, hey, guys, this is like this is all about creativity. Do you make it clear that we're not just here to hand out? bagels but like yeah how do you elevate that yeah i mean you're trying to stand out among yeah. the crowd yeah you're you're 
surrounded by 30, 40 other vendors who are all also trying to stand out. So you got to bring your A game. You got to do something that's going to differentiate yourself. Got it. Anything else we have not discussed that you think is just key that you wish you knew back in 2018 when you're like, I'm going to go do this for the first time or 2019. Um, hmm. Good question. What is your biggest mistake? Um, my biggest mistake. Hopefully not quitting your two. Your yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going through my head. I was like, I hope we'll I don't. Find look, out. I, yeah, it, no, I, I honestly, I think that's it. It's like I'm taking a, a big risk here, but like I actually don't think that that can't be a mistake just by taking the leap. Like this is something that I knew I had to try yeah. no matter what. You'll get a job. It's Some, just a job. Right. Like sometime in my People life and like. Yeah. So I don't know. I've made so many fucking mistakes already, like just in terms of like how I've set up the event and pitch it and involve people. And I've, I have not, I've been far from perfect in recognizing them and making sure that this, uh, they were getting everything that they, they needed out of the event. Um, uh, but I've just, it's just all about getting to the next step. Like that's really like, it was just get to year one. Yeah. And then figure out the next yeah. step from there. The big things for me to kind of like reflect at today's conversation is just start, right? And what are you most passionate about? Make that whatever your hobby is, if it's food centric, a business. And a festival is a great way to do that. I think there's other benefits to festivals too for your community. I'm, I'm reflecting back at the interview that I did with Amy. Her last name's Escaping Me from 17th Street Barbecue in Southern Illinois. Um, oh, but her father actually helped open Blue Smoke. Oh, nice. Um, like, like Danny Meyer, like sought him out to be like the lead on like the culinary side of like the food. His name is escaping me. He's since passed, but, um, they started like one of the first barbecue festivals in Southern Illinois in the town. I can't think of the name of the town either. It's killing me, but Southern Illinois, but they were talking about the festival just brings in so much money to the community. Yeah. And it's not just about you. It's about all the people that, you love who who love what you love and, and creating opportunity for these people too. And when you create opportunity for other people, a byproduct of that is you win too. Yep. It's not why we do things, but it's definitely a byproduct. You're, you're networking. Whoops. That what you pointed out the, the, the significance of networking and getting out there and just talking to people and bringing people together. And if, if that's stuff that excites you, the, the food aspect of it, your passion around food, if you love bringing people together and celebrating and seeing and recognizing people. And if you like bringing money into your community and like stoking commerce, like there's so many benefits to a festival and they can be very profitable as you're proving, you know, like you're, you, you're, you're banking on being able to leave your full-time job right now and, yeah. and, and to make your, your passion, your life. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why I love this idea of like just like encouraging people to think outside of, I love food and beverage. I'm going to open a restaurant. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but there's other ways. There's other things you can do totally to get started that costs a lot less money. And that if this is successful for you, like, do you have dreams of opening your own bagel shop? Not really. No, it's, no? it's a fucking hard business. I mean, I've seen it firsthand though as like an investor. Yeah, maybe, you know? but then, you know, that would be conflict of interest. Yeah. My, my dream is to bring bagel fest, this concept and take it to cities all over the country yeah. because New York has always been the haven of bagels, but there are people doing amazing things all around the country and all around the world actually. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's enough out there and enough 
like going on in Philly. You know, Brooks, he's yeah. he's CEO of uh, Spread Bagelry down in yeah. Philadelphia. Philadelphia has an awesome bagel scene, mm-hmm. and so you know, taking this concept on the road is. I heard some crazy stat that there are more Jewish people in New York than there are in the world, or something like that. that. May uh, Israel probably is oh, like that's, a close, that's fair. <laughs> but you know, like or something like per capita. Or yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. yeah. Then, I believe that. There's a reason why. The New York is the bagel capital. Yeah, because the, the market's there. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's more of it's become much more of a secular food. Like it's yeah. kind of lost that identity, you know, the association as a Jewish food yeah. so much over the past twenty, thirty years. Uh, and we can go into water. the history of yeah. that if you're interested in, but that might be like a whole nother episode. Maybe another episode. Yeah. Yeah. I want to respect your time. We're almost at our full time. Any, anything that we didn't discuss that now's the time to get it up before we say goodbye. Um, talked a little bit about the future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's the future for me is like continuing to grow bagel fest, uh, coalesce the bagel community. I mean, people are so passionate about this. It continually blows my mind. Everyone wants to talk about their favorite bagel and everyone has a different favorite. Yeah. There's literally infinite possibilities. So doing that, I'm doing bagel tours around New York city as well. I'm really just trying to figure out how to kind of, a rising tide floats all boats, so it's like Who's highlight that, dude that does the pizza. Sorry, I cut you short. Pizza, yeah, Scott's Pizza Tours. Yeah, like yeah. You, you can learn a thing or two. From oh, absolutely. Him as far and Scott as has been an incredible resource. He's been an absolute open book with me as well, and he shared everything. You know, he's. I went on his tour like to study how he does it, and he's the best at what he does. Yeah. Um. So I hope I can get to that level at some point in time. But it's really, you know, it, that that's like my future in terms of like for your listeners and like you know you did say like follow your passion, like make your life, like absolutely like go for it if you can. But I I also want to say like, it's totally fine to keep your passion, your passion and not make that your life. Like there is a flip side to it where be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Like the thing that you love might be the thing you, when it becomes, when it becomes your job and it becomes like the money, you know, your, your, your means of living, like it loses some of the fun, which I'm still having a ton of fun. Absolutely. But just as like a cautionary, like it's okay to have a hobby and to have a passion and to keep it like that and have a day job at which, you know, that's what brings in the bills or or pays the bills, not brings in the bills. What the hell? Well, Sam, I hope that you continue to experience 100% growth every year. (laughs) Uh, That'd be awesome. That's when things that, that compounding when you get to that third or fourth year at a hundred percent growth every year, that's when things start to get really interesting. So uh, uh, congratulations, dude, on making it this far and and doing what you've done. And um, I'll be keeping an eye on you. I I won't be able to make it this year, but I'm I'm keep, keep me in the loop for next year. Absolutely. And um, I, we can't say goodbye without first having you call somebody out. So who do you respect? and admire who's doing the bagel game right like who are like not just like we make great bagels but we're making money like who are those people yeah really hard to pick because there's so many great operators uh, in new york city and, and around the country like i said a few. if i if okay the first one that comes to mind are scott spellman and jesse spellman out at utopia bagels okay um they just have an insanely awesome operation not only do they make a fantastic product, but they have a fantastic business and they've managed to involve a lot of their family in it. So like you were saying is creating economic stability and opportunity. They've done that for their family, for their community, and they find new and innovative ways to kind of expand their reach um, without necessarily opening up new shops. So for example, 
they last year opened up a big old food truck wow. that they can now take on the road and do pop-up events and go all over the city and just do awesome things like that. So those Utopia bagels. U- Utopia Scott bagels. And- Scott Spellman and uh, his son, Jesse. Got it. Yeah. And uh, you said you had a couple that you want to think of. Yeah. I mean, Essa Bagel, they're like one of the premier bagel brands. S-S-A? Uh, yes. Okay. S- or E-S-S-A-Bagel. Got it. Um, you know, they've been in business. It's been a family run business for over 40 years. The COO, Melanie Frost, she's fantastic. She would be an awesome person to talk to. They've got a lot of expansion plans. Um, in terms of like running a business, man, the people at black seed bagels, they would, they're tough to beat. They've got super ambitious plans. They've publicly stated that they're trying to expand to 27 locations by the end of 2025. And, uh, they, have like a New York Montreal hybrid, so they have a very different take on the bagel, and uh, it's also you know wood fired instead of the the classic rotational ovens that a lot of New York City bagel shops use. So they would be awesome people to talk to awesome. as well. Utopia Bagels, Essa Bagels, Black Seed Bagels, look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you guys on the show. And how can we connect with you if we have questions about festivals? Maybe we'll want to come help you work this festival. Maybe we we'll want to attend the festival. Hit us with some information. Absolutely. Best place to reach me is on Instagram. Uh, the handle for Bagel Fest is just at Bagel Fest. My handle is at Brooklyn Bagel Blog. Uh, I am going to rebrand that soon because I kind of need to. I've grown outside of Brooklyn yeah. and I'm not a blog, nor have I. I know you gave me credit for being a blog, but like <laughs> I'm not a blog, nor have I ever, have I ever been. But yeah, Bagel Fest or Brooklyn Bagel Blog. You can also go on bagelfest.com to check out the latest happenings on there and uh, see when the next event is. Um, and would love to see some of you folks at the event yeah. at City Point this weekend. And this is going live on uh, Thursday. The um, what is next Thursday? What's the date? Thursday the fifteenth. So there's there's going to be at least a thousand downloads before. Amazing. You know, from, I know New York's high on my list of top downloads. Well, how about this? Why don't we do a special discount code, Restaurant Unstoppable 10, for 10% off your bagel tickets. Nice. Bagel Fest tickets if you want to come this weekend. If anybody uses that code, please let me know. 100%. I will hit you up. Awesome. Great stuff, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to share your, your knowledge, to get completely transparent about percentages and numbers. That was super helpful. Uh, There is no questioning, Sam. You are unstoppable. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, I hope so. I fucking hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll be great. Well done. We'll cut it there. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Sam Silverman, for coming on the show. And special thanks to Brooks Tanner for putting Sam on my radar. Just have a lot of respect for Brooks when he says you got to get somebody on the show I listen and I'm happy I did uh, this offers some really great perspective and it's something that I try to maintain mindfulness about that there's more to food and beverage than just the restaurant industry and if you're passionate about food and beverage and you love food and beverage people this is an option for you to you know add value to your neighbors lives like you're creating opportunity for them to get their brands out there to promote people when you're doing a festival and they can be profitable as sam pointed out and he uh he got really vulnerable today he shared numbers and i I love it when my guests do that and i'm really going to start trying to push for more people sharing numbers because i think that's just one of the areas where we're really generally speaking weak 
as restaurant owners. And uh, you got to know your numbers. You got to understand the numbers. And I could improve in this vertical myself. Uh, so by just starting to ask these questions, I think we can really improve the show and want to remind you if you're interested in attending a bagel fest be sure to use promotional code restaurant unstoppable 1010 that will get you uh 10 off if you are in the new york area and you want to attend bagel fest as you're listening to this we're on our way to new orleans we're going to be there for at least six interviews i know we have susan spicer lined up we have neil bodenheimer lined up we have uh, hopefully we're going to be getting Todd Graves on the show and Brandon uh, Landry on the show up in Baton Rouge. And then we're going to talk to Robert St. John. And if you want to catch these episodes, the video portion of these episodes, be sure to head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable and subscribe. Help us out. We're putting a lot of energy into growing YouTube in 2023. At least that's the goal. And uh, you subscribing will help us achieve our goal. If you know of anybody we need to get on the show in New Orleans, then please do hit us up or just Southern Louisiana, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. Maybe that's you. Maybe you think you should be on the show. Don't be shy. Reach out to us again, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. And I can't wrap up without saying special thanks to everybody who helps make this show possible. Uh, thank you to Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast for the editing and copyright. And special thanks to Sam over at SavinSam.com who's coming on to take the video to the next level. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.